0: Hello, everybody, and welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast, your go-to podcast for anything orthopedic-wise we try to go over um, high-yield topics. But this episode will be a little bit different. But before we get into it, you all, please, if you have not, hit the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, whatever you're listening to, and then please go and leave a review. Our goal, especially if you have an iPhone or an Apple product, is to get to at least a 100 reviews and ratings in the itunes store so please if you can just take a quick second to go and do that now getting into our talk for the day this talk is a little bit different than our normal weekly talk this one we're talking about setting up research in your clinical practice so say you may be a fellow and you're just finishing up or you may be a resident and you're thinking about somewhere where you want to end up how do you go about setting up research in your practice and i think this is A good episode, not only if you're a fellow about to graduate or about to be in a practice, but also if you're a resident. So you understand what the systems are like um, as far as how to go about setting about research and how to think about um, how to think about coordinating all the different factors of a a research team. And we also have a previous episode uh, going over kind of searching through the orthopedic literature with Dr. Mofuli. So if you want some more info on that, please go listen to our Prior episode. But to get into our topic of the day, we have Dr. Nicholas Brown, who again breaks down how to set up research in your clinical practice. A little bit more about him. He did his med school at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. He completed his residency at Rush University Medical Center and he did his fellowship at the Anderson Orthopedic Clinic in adult joint reconstruction. And he'll tell you a little bit more about where he did some of his. Uh, research years or or bouts of research during this podcast so without further ado we hope you enjoy this wide-ranging interview slash episode with dr brown you are now listening to nailed it the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors jay fitz and wendell cole Dr. Brown, welcome to the Nailed It podcast. We are uh, happy you're here and looking forward to this talk.
1: Thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, now we're talking a little bit off air, but, you know, typically for this podcast, we generally do talks on, you know, specific orthopedic topics like, you know, intro to total knees or rotator cuffs or ACLs, whatever. But this talk is going to be a little bit different as we're going to kind of talk about uh, like research, and you know, it'll kind of be a little more discussion. But you know, we'll definitely hit some high points, and you know, talk about how to set up research in your practice for any you know fellows that are just graduating or any residents that are interested in it, and um, kind of you know why research, and 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 kind of just go from there. Sounds great. Um, so I guess to start out, we we're we we're talking a little bit um, before. And you're just kind of telling me how far you are in your practice, but just for a little bit of background, if you could kind of introduce yourself to people, let them know kind of where you did residency, where you're uh, attending at right now, and just a little bit of background for you.
1: Yeah, sounds great. So Nicholas Brown, uh, currently attending at Loyola University in Chicago. I do primarily joint replacement, but um, we're a level one trauma center. uh, and I do a little work at the VA too. So A little bit of general ortho and a little bit of trauma in there, but uh, primarily hip and knee replacements. Do a lot of um, a lot of revisions uh, and that type of thing, and then also uh, obviously do a decent amount of research on the side. Um, Originally from Iowa, went to college at University of Iowa, um, then out to Columbia in New York City for med school. Um, Then actually took a year off um, between my third and fourth year uh, to go to Rush and did a research year with Dr. DeLavalle. Um, We're still at Rush there, and that's really what. You know, that's really what kind of spurred my interest in research and, you know, taught me, um, you know, taught me a lot about how how to set up a successful research uh, practice, uh, how to be successful at it, how to do it. Um, and sort of also, you know, I saw him doing a lot of studies that were really impactful and that, you know, kind of inspired me to get get involved. And from there, I've just been involved ever since. So ended up uh, sticking around there for residency. Um, then went out to uh, Alexandria, Virginia at Anderson clinic and did joints fellowship. And then, um, you know, I'm from Iowa originally, my wife is from Chicago. So found ourselves kind of back home in the Midwest um, Nice at Loyola in Chicago.
0: Perfect. And uh, we're going to definitely get into, you know, a lot of the things that you learned working with Dr. Valle here in a bit, but just to, just to kind of start off. So what, what kind of, um are you, is it kind of like a demics model that you have right now uh, at Loyola or is just straight, like, what is the, I guess model yeah. just to give people some background
1: yeah pretty pretty much a pure academic okay. uh pure academic type place i mean we um you know we do go over to um uh you know community hospital kind of uh about five miles north and spend a little time at the va but yeah it's it's a pretty traditional uh academic setting uh which is what what i was looking for and, and i've enjoyed it
0: okay and so, what are some of the things that brought you into research? You know, in in general, like what are some of the things that piqued your interest, and in why should people be doing research? You know, why should why should somebody do research? Why, you know, I'm sure there's some people out there that just say, ah, "I just want to go home and and just operate." But you know, we definitely have a lot of people that are driving the field and making changes. So, I guess, um, you know, what do you what do you think are some of the important things?
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's an excellent question. I think you know people get into it for. I think a variety of reasons. And you know, there's nothing wrong with just not wanting to do it and wanting to operate. I mean, I think for me that's my favorite part of the job and still what drives everything. I mean, somehow I sort of became the research guy, but I mean, still my my first and foremost thing I enjoy doing is operating. And that's really what I'm passionate about. Uh, but I do enjoy doing some research on the side. So if someone who just said I just want to operate, that's that's great. That's you know there's you know obviously nothing wrong with that so if, if you don't want to set up research in your practice that's that's totally fine but if you do you know I think people come into it for a variety of different reasons and I think it's probably a mix of reasons I think um, you know initially for, for a lot of people it's just a means um, you know means to an end and that's fine I think things are becoming more and more competitive and I think having some research is is helpful you know along the way um, you know, I think uh, for some people they have to do it. If you, you know, a lot of people like the academic setting for other reasons, teaching, um, just the o- other opportunities it affords. Um, so I think, you know, some people sort of need to do it. And there's people, I think, you know probably more people who do it, you know because they really um, want to understand things or they really, they have a question and they want an answer um, to that question. I think for me that it it may be started uh, with those first two things as a med student uh, wanting to get into orthopedics, but then the further you get into it and the further you understand how to do it and you understand uh, the tools and the process, you know, right now, you know, most of the, the, the clinical questions or the research questions that drive me are things that come up in practice. And I think, man, I wonder, I don't know what necessarily the right thing to do is in this situation, or I look it up and there's been you know, maybe just a handful of things published on it. And, and it's an opportunity to say, you know, what, what is the right thing to do here? How, you know, how can I best treat this patient or this group of patients? What, you know, here's an opportunity to learn something. And um, it's those questions, um, you know, that really drive me at this point. And that's, it's interesting. It's, it, it, it brings variety also is something, um, you know, something else that I I really enjoy about it. But for me, it's really um, being able to answer, answer questions that, you know, the answers aren't known to, which is, um, which is interesting and fulfilling and I think also um, important to do to continue to drive um, orthopedics forward.
0: Yeah, I think you have to have like an inquisitive mind and um, wanting, just like you just said, wanting to figure out, you know, the answer to things. I know, uh, you know, I was with one of my attendings the other week and we we're doing a, a case, a sports case, and at the end of it, we're like, oh, I wonder if there's a difference between if you suture this at the end of the case versus not suturing it. And I wonder if patients do any better or do patients do any worse. And, and bada bing, bada boom, that's kind of the inquisitive, you know, thing yeah. that started off and then, okay, well, let's go ahead and look in the literature and see what's there. If not, then maybe that's something we can write up and, and, and find the answer to it. That way, I'm sure we may not be the only ones that have this question, but there may be other people that have this exact same question.
1: Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you look in the literature and you'll won't find something and sometimes you'll find something, but you'll just kind of think there's no way that can, that can be true you know um
0: wow.
1: and then you know it kind of it kind of um gets you to want to research that question and you know i've definitely had that where i've looked at things and said you know there's no way that's true i've, I've looked in literature found a few papers that there's no way that's true um and then you do your own study and you're like well actually yeah maybe i should <laughs> just trust it but
0: you <laughs> yeah. know
1: sometimes sometimes you do find uh something contradictory too which is which is also interesting Say, either you know, way, either way, you know, one or two papers or three papers. I mean, how many papers do you need to read before you believe something? You know, so I think even if something's been done, it's important to repeat it and verify it. And, um, the, you know, I think those are also it's, it's nice to do the novel study, but it's also important to to verify kind of existing because how many things change? You know, how many right. things were just dogma and truth and they change. So I you know, I think those are also important types of questions to answer.
0: Yeah. And you took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was going to say Is that sometimes, you know, it's good to, to recreate it and say, okay, well, I got those exact same results. So, you know, it's just not something that uh, is, that can be done in one person's hand, but can also be done in another person's hand as well. Um, and so what, I know, I know we, we briefly mentioned a little bit earlier, but can you kind of tell me this, the story of what got you um, started working with um, Dr. Uh, De La Valle and, and how how you experienced, or how that had a experienced, I guess changed you, or you know, kind of how you experienced everything.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, that was uh, an excellent year. You know, I spent um, spent with him at Rush and really kind of kickstarted everything in terms of research for me. Um, you know, it's it's like a lot of things in life. It's kind of you just sort of fall into things. I, um, I I you know I was not totally sure what I wanted to do. Um, it, you know, as a, as a specialty and I was just kind of trying to figure things out, and I knew I was kind of interested in research, and you know, just sort of um, applied for it kind of on a whim, um, and 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 got it, and ended up doing the year, and it was really one of the best things, you know, for my career. It's kind, you know, it's interesting how a lot of things in life, you know, kind of happen that way and and, and put you on a path. Um, but you know, did a bunch of studies that year and just really really learned um, how to do. Um, you know, meticulous, careful uh, clinical research. And, you know, most of it was uh, retrospective studies. And honestly, most of what I do now is our retrospective kind of observational type studies. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a few sort of prospective things going, but there's a limit to how many prospective studies you can do, you know, with, you know, unless you have, you know, a large amount of funding or personal. I was going to ask, like what
0: that. was that? Okay. So it's, it's funding that is kind of the main limit to uh, the, well, the it's funding, it's,
1: it's personnel, it's time, you know, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think, I think, uh, I, I kind of approach it, uh, a few ways. I think it's important to try and do some prospective things. Um, but it's, it's really hard to do yourself if you're going to, I mean, even doing retrospective studies are really hard to do yourself. Um, you know, I think it, it really helps to have people and we, you know, sometimes those people are, um, dedicated people, um, that you hire or the department hires. And, you know, sometimes those people are uh, medical students or residents or fellows. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think it's important wherever, wherever you end up, you know I mean? This gets to kind of setting up what kind of the meat of what we're talking about, you know, wherever you end up, there's probably going to be people who are interested in doing research and interested in answering clinical questions. And, you know, a lot of people w- will want to put in some work, but it's hard to just do it all by yourself so I think you know for me one of the main things I did when I when I came to Loyola to to try and get things going was just figure out who the key players were and figure out who I could connect with um
0: and how'd you do that was it a was it a meeting that you that you held or was it just by word of mouth like I guess now we're transitioning to creating a team of people that you know that all want to do research so how do you how did you go about creating that team
1: yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't as um, um, like intentional as as I'm making it sound, but <laughs> I, I think um, you know I think you start doing a few projects, and through that process, you know, you you find the medical students that that want to do it, you find the residents that are interested in doing it. You know, we have a, a research coordinator, but then you have to start figuring out, you know. Who, who are the contacts within the IRB, you know, that you can, um, you know, to help, uh, help kind of push these things through and, get, and get, the, get the studies approved. And you have to figure out, you know, who are your biased statisticians that can help you? And how do you, how do you go through that process? And then, you know, there's, in terms of, you know, querying data from various areas, you know, I, cause a lot of it obviously starts with how do you get the data? You know, you may have an idea, but you still have to figure out how to get data. And yeah. sometimes you do need to go back and do chart review, but a lot of times there's, you know, with electronic medical records, there's much more sophisticated ways of doing that through billing or through electronic medical records. So, you know, you have to figure out if, if you're at a smaller practice, you know, it may be someone in the hospital and medical records, you know, at Loyola, there's people in bioinformatics. There's a couple people that know how to pull to, So you have to identify, you know, no one's going to sit down and tell you where these people are, who they are. You got to sit down and kind of get to know these people. Um, you know, or a lot of institutions participate in, um, you know, in large kind of databases. So if you're part of the NISQIP or the NIS or something, you need to figure out who the contact is that can get you access, you know, yeah, to that database. data. And then also, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for sort of cross-collaboration between, you know, if you're at a university, there's, there's um, you know, people have biomechanics labs, there's, you know, we're doing stuff with people in radiology you know, so there's a lot of people who are interested in it, but it's just a matter of just like a lot of things in life, just making those connections and figuring out who's interested in doing this type of work and connecting with them. And then you can work as a team because it's, it's impossible to do this all by yourself. So I, I think, um, you know, trying to trying to search out um, and, and look for those people that are interested in and just attending, you know, if you go to grand rounds of, of um, you know, like the research you know, the, the status, you know, for like in the biostats department does grand rounds and stuff like that. And, and you can connect with people that way, but sort of, I, you know, I, I call it a team. I don't know if it's necessarily a team per se, as, as much as it is just, you know, a network of people that are kind of like-minded that also yeah. um, want to get that type of stuff done. And that exists in different forms in, in whatever institution you're at. So I'll um, now,
0: now say, for example, you know, you, you, we have somebody just completed fellowship, brand new, right out the gate, and they go and they they join a private practice. Now, does that change the dynamics? Because, you know, in academic centers, it may be a little bit easier to, to, you know, find, you know, who the bias decision, um, you know, person is, is there, do you have any tips for anybody that's going to private practice that wants to start to set up or or figure this out?
1: Well, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a a few ways to go about it. You could, depends on the size of your practice. You may have partners that are interested in doing that. You may, you know, even if you're at a private practice, you're still within a hospital system. So if it's a large enough hospital system, I'm sure there's a way of querying that data. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of hospitals that's, you know, publishing, you know, publishing papers is interesting, but it also looks good for a particular hospital system. So I think mm. a lot of, a lot of those places have incentive to, to, to help you. Um, some of those places may have a statistician. They probably have IT people, um, you know, that can help you. Or also, you know, I'm, Like right now I have one project going with, um, a guy in private practice. He reached out to me. He said, you know, my group, my hospital wants to start getting more involved with research. It's going to be hard for me to do it myself. I know you're at a medical school. Maybe the three of us could connect. Um, and so we have a medical student, a resident, me and him, you know, working on it together. And it broadens our, our reach in terms of the amount of data we can collect. So, you know, maybe he doesn't have the time, uh, to, um, you know, obviously collect that data himself, but he has the connections at his hospital and we, you know, now we have access to this large electronic to medical record there and he's yeah. get that data, we get data. So um, a lot of it is, you know, I think people will say, I, I think a lot of it is just a willingness to do it or, or a want um, to do it. You know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, at just kind of, you know, at at Mayo or at HSS or wherever, they have this whole team and they make it so easy. And they, well, I'll tell you maybe it makes, maybe it's a little easier at places like that, you know, but I was at Rush and people say the same thing about Rush. Oh, you know, Rush, they have a database and it's so easy and people do the data and there's that. I spent a whole year there where, I mean, maybe it's a little bit easier, but you know, the places that produce a lot of research that produce a lot of good research, um, it's a lot of hard work still. So I think it's just, you know, and, and even if there are a little bit of advantages to being at certain institutions in terms of some research infrastructure set up, you know, someone set it up at some point, it's not like, this was just just given to them. So I think, um, yeah, perhaps, you know, at certain places, there's studies, you know, you have to look at the feasibility of the study, of course, like, you know, there's four of us doing joints at Loyola. So, you know, thankfully, we don't have you know, as many infections as maybe other places do where there's 20 joint surgeons. So certain clinical questions were going to be limited in in terms of answering. So we don't try and answer those clinical questions, but that doesn't mean, you know, that we can't, you know, answer important questions and still meaningfully, you know, contribute uh, to our field and contribute to our literature just because there's certain questions that would based on our numbers aren't going to be feasible to answer. There's still a lot of questions that are feasible to answer. I mean, I've you know, 40 questions I'm trying to answer right now. So there's yeah. plenty of things that, you know, yeah, there, there are definitely ideas I have on, I have a whole list of ideas and say, ah, you know, I'd love to be able to look at that. It's just, it's not going to work here. But, you know, maybe it could if I tried to collaborate with some other institutions. So, you know, I think a lot of it is just is just a willingness and a want to, to do it and a drive to do it. And there's always going to be, um, you know, questions that need to be answered that y- you'll have some means to answer. So I think it's just pick something. If you want to do it, you know, pick something and just start studying. it.
0: And and just kind of just piggybacking off of some of the things you were saying, we we're talking about, you know, programs or places that have that infrastructure set up. Now, you having done, you know, a research year and then, you know, your residency at Rush, now you're at Loyola. Are there any, um, how do I say, maybe similarities that you note in the systems, in these, in these systems that have been set up? that you want to emulate? Are, you know, is there anything, are there any patterns that, you know, that that you have noticed um, that these institutions do that you want to continue to do to make sure, you know, you have a successful system that you're setting up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's important to keep track of, it's helpful if you keep track of your own patients, if you, if there's a way of, you know, keeping track of uh, patient information complications, um, you know, sort of just having that institutional database, if there's a way of, automating um you know getting patient reported outcomes uh CUS scores you know hip and knee scores things like that pre and post op you know if you can set something like that up you know that's um that you know that that in and of itself can be challenging but if you can do that um you know those types of things can be can be very helpful but you know the thing i i've noticed just at being different places it's just again like i said it's just a it's a drive to want to do it and it's a willingness to want to do it. And just, um, it's, uh, it's, it's that is, yeah, it's, it's a mentality as much as it is anything else. I think from what I've, I've seen being at a variety of places that, that, um, you know, produce a lot of stuff and produce good stuff and talking to other people. I mean, I think, yes, some places have a little bit more funding and a little bit more infrastructure and have things set up in place to, you know, collect some of these outcome scores and, um, and things like that. But again, it doesn't mean it's, it's still, you know, it's still going to be, it's still going to be work, you know, and it's also, um, I think a lot of it too is at places like that is, you know, getting, getting the residents involved, getting the medical students involved, getting the fellows involved. But a lot of that is also treating them, I think treating them well, treating them fairly, um, if they do work, you know, getting back to them in a timely manner. Um, not yeah. treating them as someone who just collects data for you, but treating them as a partner, you right. know, in the research, um, you know, valuing their thoughts and valuing their ideas. And I I think, these are all
0: like characteristics of a leader, you know, at least from what you're what you're saying to me when, I, when I'm listening, what you're saying, it, these are all characteristics of of um, of good leaders, you know, in, in different organizations that they have, you know, that they they care about the people that work with them and they value their ideas and actually listen to those those ideas. So it's almost, um, you know, in one part, you had to help develop the leadership skills yourself, but you also have to pay um, attention to each person as a part of your team or part of your program.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't really ever thought about it exactly like that, but it is really true. I mean, I think, you know, people think the hard part about research is like maybe coming up with the ideas or, you know, gaining access to the data or something like that. And that can, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, but there's, you know, the further you get into it, you know, and the further you get, you know, subspecialized into a field, there's a million ideas Then the hard, the easy parts come with the ideas. The hard part is, you know, the logistics and the management and just continuing to get people working, you know, and most people are working for free, right? Like, you know, I mean, I, you know, part of that is, you know, when I talk to other people, it's like, you know, you have a, a resident or a med student who's put like 50 hours of their time into this project for like, you know, maybe to get their name to have a line on their CV or something like that. So, you know, yeah. you have to really respect their time. And if they have a question for you, you know, I give everyone my, you know, everyone has my cell phone number. My, I'm like, call me anytime or text me or email me if you ever have a question, because you're putting in so much work for me for, you know, Oh, you know, minimal reward, I guess. Yeah. i mean, not, no. I don't want to say minimal reward. The reward is, you know, hopefully it, you know, helps whatever they need to do. You know, maybe it's personally satisfying to them or it helps them career wise or to match in residency or fellowship, whatever. I mean, it's not like it's, it's totally altruistic on their part, but I mean, it is still a lot of work. And, and I think it's really, really important. Um, if you're going to try and do research and try and, you know, cause you need people to do that. You have to just really still respect their time and respect the amount of work, um, you know, that they're putting in. Uh, and and that's been really, for me, that's been, that's been really important.
0: Yeah. That may be one of the, uh, unspoken, you know, key, key parts to creating a a good team is, is having that mindset of, you know, you respect everybody else's time, you know, respecting them and, and trying to, you know, realize that, just like you said, nobody's really getting paid for this unless, you know, you have, you know, a paid position. You know, I know some places have that, but everybody here is just, we're all just kind of inquisitive minds that want to, you know, try to make the the world a little bit better and push, you know, research and and push ideas and and thought processes. Um, Getting down to the nitty gritty, I know you mentioned, you know, setting up something to keep track of your own patient's Is there anything that you have set in store? Is this maybe a particular program or something that you set up with a nurse for those that may be listening that that want something concrete that they could try to do?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, it's interesting, kind of like we sort of talked offline briefly about is that, you know, I know we're talking about setting up a, um, you know, setting up research in your practice. And it's kind of, you know, I'm doing a decent amount of research now, but I'm also, me and um you know definitely some of the other people in my department that are interested in doing this type of thing are we're really trying to kind of push this forward and really get we're sort of in the process of setting it up right now um you know i've i found for me in terms of like gathering data um you know we, we use epic and if you have a good bioinformatics person um you know, they, they've been really, really helpful. Um, The two at Loyola are really, really helpful at, at querying data. And it's, it's, it's part like knowing the system and part computer program. I don't fully understand it, but they seem to be able to get, you know, they've been able to get really pretty good data for me. Um, And right now we're also, you know, there's a lot of different kind of companies uh, popping up that um, are able to you know, sort of automate an email or call patients, lot um, or or have them do it on like an iPad or there's a variety of ways of doing it to get those, um, you know, kind of pre and post operative scores depending on whatever you know subspecialty that you're trying to, um, wow. you know, collect for. So I think you know I think just learning how to how to how to query the whatever electronic medical record you're using and then you know being for me it's also being careful when I code everything. So when anyone, anytime I see anyone in clinic, I'm really careful with, um, you know, putting, putting the proper diagnoses in there and ICD 10 codes and CPT codes and stuff like that, knowing that uh, down the road, that's, that's something that, um, you know, has been really helpful for me to go back and query it. So I, at first I started keeping my own kind of database of surgery, but then I realized if I accurately documented stuff in, um, the electronic medical record, they're really good at, at querying those. And then also, you know, we've been doing some stuff with the radiology department. And, um, you know, one of the guys over there is able to use um, natural language processing to, uh, to look through all the, the radiology reports. So that's, you know, we have a project looking at that and we're able to query like, you know, just a huge number of x-rays based on, you know, natural language processing, certain keywords and things like that. And then we can go back and look specifically, you know, verify it by looking at those x-rays. So again, you know, a lot of this stuff is, is just getting, is getting creative and just knowing your, knowing your own system, you know, so you may be at a practice where you need to keep your own, um, you know, file of all the patients and surgeries and complications, things like that. Or you may be at a place that, you know, you can do that in the electronic medical record. Um, Or you may be at a place where, you know, you can creatively, you know, look through clinic notes or something with uh, now with more kind of, um, you know sophisticated uh, uh, computer-based ways of doing that so I, I think it, it kind of depends on the setting uh, a little yeah. bit as well
0: yeah no I think those are all just solid tips you know I think one of the things that uh, an, an underlying um, a common theme that I'm seeing here is, is documentation is having very good documentation of you know of the complications of the of the of the uh, conditions you know of coding making sure the codings are correct. Um, setting up, making sure you have the documented questionnaires for whatever maybe may be, like the QS questionnaire that you're talking about for knees or the ASAS for, for shoulders, you know, so you know that with every patient you get, you have something pre-op and post-op. If you have imaging, you have, you know, you have your imaging system set up, you have them at, at these um, at these time marks. So now you, you say, well, maybe I know on all my patients, I get imaging at one month, three months, six, nine, and 12. So maybe you could do a study looking at, some types you know something in imaging of some sort but it's all kind of just having a a system um, set up uh, with good documentation uh, is what I mean I guess uh, the overlying undertone is you know one you also mentioned the companies that can some companies call patients the natural language processing and um, you know if you have an EMR definitely file complications yeah Um, so I think
1: like you're saying it really depends on your practice setting uh, but just again, yeah, just to make sure you have stuff documented because if you, otherwise you're not going to be able to ever get that data. so
0: perfect. And I, just moving on to I know we briefly mentioned a little bit earlier, but can you how, how do you choose a, a feasible study? like how do you choose like how do you know like okay, this is possibly we should do or does it is it is it resources? does it say, well, you know we, we don't we may not have the resources right now and you have to look at certain type of funding like how do you choose a feasible study?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a good point. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it's a variety of things. I think um, you have to look at how common, you know, and there's ways of doing that with power analysis and stuff. How 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 common this outcome is, and what what your numbers are going to be for like a retrospective type study or for a prospective study. You have to be honest with yourself in terms of, you know, do you have time in clinic or time in pre-op to consent people? I mean, it takes time, you know, it definitely does. So you know, for the the sort of perspective studies I'm doing it's either a medical student um, in clinic that's doing most of the consenting and explaining it or doing or a resident or medical student in the pre-op area uh, that's doing it so you have to you know if you want to do those studies you have to just sort of like think about what that exactly means in terms of your clinic flow or your pre-operative um, you know for, you know for me it's it's hard like you know, there's certain things like, it's just kind of like, um, one of the things we're doing just involves, um, like taking a picture of the knee and, and how that affects range of motion and physical therapy. And, but it's still weird for me in like a, pre, like people are nervous right before surgery and stuff like that. So the last thing they want to do is have their surgeon talking to them about, you know, the study they're think, <laughs> yeah, thinking, about doing, you know, so you have to think about, you know, so I, you know, when I go talk to them, I want to just go over there and tell them, you know, I'm going to take excellent care of you. I'm not going to leave the OR until, um, your knee is exactly how I want it. Your hips exactly how I want it. I do a lot of these, I, you know, I get good results. We have excellent anesthesiologists. I'm going to, you know, it's going to take, you know, this long. I'm going to talk to your family as soon as, is as, as, as we're done, you know, I'm going to take great care of you back, of you back there. To, you know, don't worry, you know, just trying to kind of calm them down. And then, you know, I'll let the medical students say, Hey, you know, we're doing this, this little thing, if, if it's okay, if we, you know, take a picture of your knee and, um, or, but the same thing in clinic, you know, it, everyone's, cl- you know, everyone's clinics are busy, it's busy, busy, busy. So, you know, if, if you think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this study and I'm going to consent people, I'm going to talk to people about it. I'm going to have them sign these forms and I'm going to put their name and MRR, MRN in this like database. And, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to randomize them. and And then depending on where they're randomized, we're going to, do this versus it, you know, it takes a lot of time. So what I've realized is, you know, occasionally I'll have days when, um, you know, I don't have a, one of the medical students on one of the projects in me with, with me in clinic and it, um, you know, it's, it really, it really can slow down the flow. So, you know, you just, (laughs) in terms of feasibility for, you know, for prospective stuff, it's just really, you know, it's great. You know, sometimes you, you think of an idea and it's really exciting and you want to do it, but, and I wouldn't never, you know, discourage someone from doing that. But you also have to think about how that is going to affect preoperatively or clinic, you know, kind of flow and and what that means Um, in in patients that are already like anytime, you know, it's like you just talk to someone. A lot of people are really nervous about like getting surgery. And then you sit down and talk to them. Hey, we want to do this study on you. And even if it's like the smallest, like one of the things is like, we're just, all we're going to do is call you. Like it's a five minute call six weeks after surgery to see, you know, your pain levels and what, how many of your opioids you took and all this type of stuff. And we're trying to quote, but even it's like, it's literally, we're just trying to consent you for a five minute phone call or a a short online survey. As soon as you say, we want to do the study on, you know, you have to choose your words really carefully. So, but I think, you know, things like that is just in terms of is thinking, you know, a, how common is this event i want to look at you can have you know there's online power cap but really you need it's it helps to you know consult a statistician like at the beginning um and then for you know for those other type of studies think about think about what that means for your day-to-day life
0: yeah and my two points and um so consulting a statistician at the beginning is that to help you organize how you would collect the data i guess what is that um What part does that play?
1: Oh, I think that's, I think it's incredibly helpful. Um, And that's something I've learned working with um, some of the kind of excellent statisticians at Loyola is, you know, people think about statistics and data as purely analysis, you know, but I think, you know, really a good, good studies and good answers come from good questions and, and, and good data and proper design. Not like overly sophisticated statistical analysis. So you know, almost any statistics book you read starts with you know, like a a statistician's role is in is really in is is as much in proper design and data collection and implementation of um, uh, of a study as it is in in data analysis. I mean, I think the data analytics part is just one piece of the puzzle, whereas a lot of people come to a statistician afterwards and say, Hey, can you, can you look at this? But, um, they you know, especially the, the really well-trained, you know, we have PhD statisticians. I mean, they, they have a lot of training in, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things you wouldn't think about in terms of just biases and how you, even how you randomize and how you, um, set up, uh, even the wording, you know, on, on questionnaires, and there's a lot of a lot of things like that that they can really help you do a much much uh, cleaner study, and then it's so much easier for them to analyze the data on the back end. And I think mm. you know I've never had a statistic. Say, oh, you know, why are you coming to me now? Come to me when you have the data. I mean, it's almost always the other way around. They're like, right. okay, well, why are you coming to me now? Like, we, there's so many problems we could have. I could have foreseen at mm. the beginning, but now you're coming to me at the end. So I mean, if that's one that's one thing I've learned. Just working with you know really talented statisticians is that their their skill set is a lot is is probably wider than most people their skill set and training is probably wider than a lot of people realize so consulting them early can has been really helpful to me
0: Ah, wow, okay uh, no, that's a, that's definitely a good tip um for all those listening i hope you wrote, you wrote that down i you know that i think that's something that um that I have done once as, as in not consulted them as, as soon as I should have and uh, done it yeah. more on the back end. Um, but since we're talking about that, and I think that was a great point is can you kind of just walk us through, um, I guess, kind of your flow of things? You know, you're talking about you go and talk to a statistician. So once you, is it when you have an idea and and, and you figured out kind of what you want to do, then you talk to a statistician like, and then I guess, what is the flow from there till published? Like overall, like how do you? Yeah, that's
1: good. That's a good question. I mean, usually I'll, I'll um, I, you know, anytime I just think of an idea, I just write it down and I'll write it down on my phone or, or I just have like a, a running Word document. Um, and then for every, it's probably like, you know, like songwriters or something, you know, for every like 10 songs they write, maybe there's one good one. So I just write it down and it comes to my head. I just write it down. And then I'll come back periodically and sort of revisit that list um, when, you know, when I have a medical student or a resident that comes to me and say, hey, I'd love to get a project going. So then I'll kind of look through the list, look through what um, seems to be a, um, a reasonable idea. And then from there, I usually kind of try and vet it a little bit. So then once I have someone interested in, I'll think about it. And it, it's, you know, it kind of it seems like it should be obvious, but just spending like a little bit of time with a pen and a paper, just thinking about it and trying to map things out um, can, can really be helpful. So then once I've done that, I'll usually go to the literature and also have the, who's ever doing the project, kind of go to the literature and just see like, is there, is this like a question that, you know, sometimes it's been answered enough times or, you know, depending on how, if it's like, not that important of a question, if it's been answered, you maybe don't want to do it. But if it's a really important question, and it's you feel like it's been incompletely answered, you know, then you know, then I'll then I'll kind of proceed. So then from there, usually it's, you know, get them. Um, you know, there's always a lot of kind of lag time. So I think like a lot of these things happen kind of simultaneously, but it's, you know, get the IRB going and start putting a, a spreadsheet together. And then sort of hopefully while that's getting done, you can put in a request for stats. And hopefully around the time the IRB is done, you can you can talk to the statistician and then you'll have a spreadsheet put together and, and you could say, this is, this is the data we're going to try and query with our bioinformatics people. Uh, this is, you know, if you're doing a retrospective study, right. um, and then they can kind of help. Oh, do you think? about? And sometimes they think, you know, cause they work with, you know, they're, they're cross, you know, specialty. So sometimes they think of things that like you might not have thought of just cause they've done studies and other specialties, or they think about like, Oh, you know, w- w- would you do this as like a survival now you know, so they sort of yeah. think of things that you might not, not think of and like little data points you might want to collect, um, you know, and then collect the data, uh, you know, invariably, you know, even these places that have these institutional databases, you know, it's incomplete data. Like there's no way you could foresee every possible data point you would want and put it in a day. I mean, you could, it would take forever. Right. So yeah. even if you have an institutional database, you're still going to probably, it's probably going to re- a decent amount of chart review so then you know at that point you do you collect the data and then you know go to the statistician they can usually get you a good um you know analysis of it uh and then you know from there um you know write it up and and, and work on getting it published
0: okay and just since you just mentioned it and that's the last thing that you mentioned i know we want to talk about it publishing options what i guess what um can you what can you expand on you know how to figure out where to publish, what to publish and, and kind of all that goes through your mind um, when you look at publishing and what you're, what you're thinking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting. There are now even, I haven't, the residents um, use it more than I have, but there's like, um, I don't, I I guess I get, I don't know if you'd call it artificial intelligence or there's, there's things now that you can in our, our library, you can do it through the library. They have, they have access to it where you'll, you punch in your abstract, and it can give you a list of journals that um, are, are best for you to submit it to. Um, really, so that's, that'd be one. Yeah, so that's kind huh. of interesting. I don't know how how it does it and how how accurate it is and if it's been vetted. Um, but definitely, you know, um, you're seeing things like that coming more um, into the forefront. But then I, I think you know, the more of this you do, you sort of get a sense of like, you know, there's kind of like sort of like orthopedic, um, journals that are, you know, considered like very, you know, like JBJS core, things like that. And then there's like your, um, sort of top subspecialty journals. Um, and then there's kind of like middle tier journals. So I, you know, I think, uh, sometimes it surprises you what gets into one or not another one, but you know, in general, you kind of, if it's like a, um, I mean, you kind of know, I, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of an art of, of which, of which journal to go to, but it's a little bit like looking at, have they published something recently on this topic? And if so, sometimes it's a hot topic. So you might want to kind of send it to them or, or it's kind of been done in that journal. So then, you know, if they recently published something on it, but it's not like a super hot topic, you might want to go elsewhere. And then just based on, you know, how novel the idea is and how large of a study you have um you can kind of kind of go from there but i think you know the more of this you do and it it doesn't hurt i mean i don't you know never hurts to kind of i guess to aim high but it's also um i I think when you do it for a while you kind of get a sense of where a decent home uh, and and the more you kind of read the different journals and and are more familiar with the literature you kind of get a sense of where a decent home you know for a paper would be but i think it all starts with also is just asking a question that people would be interested in or want to know the answer to, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to, you know, is this, is this a, is this something that people care about? So, you know, I try and, you know, when I'm, when I'm coming up with a research idea, you know, I, I don't really like to do it, you know, occasionally that'll happen where you'll just do something for the sake of of doing it or something like that. But I mean, really you're, you're trying to think of like, this is a question that is important to be answered that like, People would be interested in, or maybe people wouldn't be, but maybe you are at least, you know. So I mean, almost everything I'm doing, it's something that I said, "Huh, I I wonder what the answer to this is," and I want to know that. I want to know the answer, and that's why I'm doing the study. And I think if you yourself are are true to yourself in terms of having that attitude, then people will. You're going to be more likely to get it published because if you say this is this is an interesting question to me, it's probably probably an interesting question you know to someone else. But if you're just right. doing it for the sake of doing it, you're probably going to have a hard time. So I th- I think those are things to keep in mind.
0: No, yeah, that that definitely makes sense and um I remember the the first time where I was very very much a novice in the in the field of research. I think I was a first-year med student had no idea what research was really, but had an abstract and was and, um wrote like a, a manuscript and was trying to figure out where to publish it to or where to where to send it to. I didn't know anything about like, you know, impact factors or journals or top journals or anything. And I think some uh, random journal sent me an email saying, Hey, do you want to, do you want to submit uh, to this yeah. journal? And I, I submitted mine and, and they're like, all right, perfect. It'll be a couple grand. And, and <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I was like, Oh man. Um, yeah, It was just one of those, those, I guess you'd call it one of those no name journals um, as of right. Yeah. Now, I where... mean,
1: there's definitely there, I, I would say there are good journals that are open access. Yeah. You know, so there's two types of, I mean, there's journals that are either have a, a nominal submission fee just to kind of live with the number of submissions or are free and are, you know, they are um, sustained via, um, you know, via advertising or I don't know, maybe donate. I'm not exactly sure where some of the funding is uh, come, but there's definitely, there are good open access journals that just, you know, and they have a good mission. They, they want to produce uh, a good product and, um, there's just only so much money, but it allows, you know, people and, you know, anyone access private or academic or developing world access to that information. So I think that's um, there's nothing wrong, you know, with with open access journals that have some fees. But then there's obviously like, you know, predatory journals that are yeah. like barely even real journals. Yep. So, and I, you know, I think a, a, a good open access journal is going to be upfront about that. You know, you—it's easy. You know, if it's easy to figure out how much it costs to to publish in there, it's probably—you know—a lot of times it's it's probably a, a reasonable journal. But when it's kind of like a hidden fee or after the fact or something, you, you know, send us
0: your PayPal. <laughs> yeah,
1: it could be some kind of like yeah. uh, you know, there's definitely sort of these predatory, uh, predatory, you know, predatory journals.
0: Yeah, and uh, the last thing before we wrap up here in the next couple of minutes is. Um, setting up funding do you have any tips for you know uh, you know maybe a resident or a fellow that's just coming out that has this idea that has no idea how to get anything funded really hasn't done that before you know are there are certain places they should start with certain resources or I guess any advice or tips that you have for them
1: yeah there's um and that, you know this is something I you know probably need to be better about myself but there you know we've had I've worked on some projects where some residents have gotten funding and there's a, there's a variety, especially for residents, there's a variety of sources. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, most of the like organizations have, have resident funding, um, like the regional organizations, you know, like MAOA, uh, I'm a part of has, um, you know, a funding uh, for residents or new attendings or REF. Um, I also think that, um, you know, sometimes you can even get, um, you know, things donated from, from companies Um, and a lot of institutions, you know, even, you know, and they don't always advertise it. Like Loyola has different funding for medical students. There's, there's funding uh, for residents or new investigators. And even some departments have almost like a, you know, a little slush fund of, uh, of funding too. So I think it's, again, it's a lot of the stuff isn't just like, you know, out there totally advertised, but, um, if you have a good idea and you have a will to do it and it's going to take a little bit of money to do it. Um, and you're honest about it, there's, there's probably ways to get it funded. So I think just searching, you know, those different avenues, um, there's, there's oftentimes kind of money out there.
0: Yeah. And I have, I've noticed there's, um, a lot of different organizations, um, will have funding for certain amounts, you know, five grand, 10 grand, depending on, you know, know the the organization you know there's all you know there's nih there's a lot of different um places you can seek um when you're looking for funding for whatever projects you may be undergoing um is there anything else before we wrap up here that you think somebody should take away uh, after listening to this episode
1: um i think uh i mean i kind of touched on it um you know, if they you know, I think the main thing is just, a lot of it is just a mentality and there's ways, um, you know, if you're interested in doing it, it's just a matter of doing it. You know, I mean, I think it's just um, at, at every place in any setting, you know, some places, again, have a little more infrastructure or a little more data, or it's slightly easier. You can ask different clinical questions, but I think in almost any setting you're in, if you're interested in doing it, you, there's there's important questions that you can ask and and answer, and they might be different questions depending on your setting. But then at the same time, because you're in that setting, you may be able to answer questions that uh, other people can't, even in 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 larger, better funded places. So I, I just think, you know, if 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 you have the will to do it, um, I think you are able to. Most people would be able to meaningfully contribute. So I think it's, it's again, it's as much a mindset as it is, you know, anything else.
0: Well, Dr. Brown, I, I really, uh, I learned a lot, actually, just from having this conversation and talking, I was taking notes uh, while we we're talking, so uh, things that I'll probably use when, you know, going forward, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and coming and talking about, you know, research um, tips to get started in research and kind of just even a mindset to have when you want to get involved in, in, in research and creating a team. Uh, Now, we always ask our guests, you know, anybody wants to reach out to you, whether it be social media, email or anything. uh, Is there any way that people can follow you? Or or if you don't have anything, that's fine. If you do, you know, that you want to share with the people, that's great.
1: Yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, anyone wants to contact me, feel free. I guess probably the best would be um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a huge social media presence. Um, (laughs) No problem. uh, You know, I'll tell you the best way to contact me, actually, you know, I, I, uh, I'm involved with, um, we're just, we're, we're starting this app. It's called teamed up. It's on the, on the Apple store mm-hmm. right now. And it's a way of kind of sharing cases and communicating, um, in, in a way of like kind of creating groups. And, um, you know, that, that'd probably be a great way to communicate with, with me since it's, we uh, go. it's a new app. I'm, I'm, I'm a part of kind of developing and it just came out a couple of weeks ago. So it's called teamed up T E A M E D U P. up. Yeah.
0: Teamed up. All right, so I, I would say, Hey, if you
1: want to, if you want to, you know, communicate with me, you can easily do it through the app, but if, if not also check it out, I think it's uh, it's got a lot of promise. It's, it's a, it's a cool idea that we've been developing.
0: That's great. Well, Dr. Brown, uh, we appreciate you coming on for those listening. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, please again, tune in next week, you know, subscribe, leave a review. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Brown.
1: Thanks so much for having me.